preparation for today's message, please turn to Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way to the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after they had been, there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that my mouth, the Gentiles, would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that either our Father nor we have been able to hear or bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from the people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Bersabbas, and Silas, leading among the brothers. With the following letter, <clears throat> the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, and to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling to your mind, although we gave them no instruction, it has seemed good to us, have, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they, sent, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. 
And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Amen. Well, I grew up in Niagara Falls, or kind of the outskirts of Niagara Falls, and what I find interesting is that people who grew up in the Buffalo area often tend to view Niagara Falls as kind of different than people who are maybe visiting the area. Uh, I remember growing up, I never really went down to see the falls. It wasn't until I was probably in college that I actually went and viewed the falls. You know, we would go near the falls, we used to go to shopping down by the old Rainbow Mall, but we never went and did kind of the touristy things, never did the Cave of the Winds, never did uh, the Maid of the Mist or anything like that. And what I found is people who kind of lived on the outskirts of Niagara Falls, they tended to view downtown Niagara Falls differently than other people. When they thought about downtown Niagara Falls, they thought about maybe the crime or the poverty or the drug addiction. But then you have someone that comes in from, say, Austin, Texas, and they come in and in the summertime, it's 75 degrees, and they stay in a nice hotel, and then they go to see the, the Maid of the Mist and the Cave of the Winds and do all that fun stuff, and they're just amazed at the glory of God and the beauty that is there in the Niagara Falls, and they, they leave with this kind of completely different perception maybe than someone who grew up there who knows the problems of the area. See, where we come from, it kind of impacts how we view the world. A few years ago, uh, we had some friends from Mississippi that came up and did missions trips. And uh, they had come up for a number of years. They, they worked with us for three years and with some other churches for, I think, four or five or something like that. And when they came up, one of the highlights of their trip was they went to this pizza place out in West Seneca that I had never heard of. And they kept telling me how wonderful this pizza place was. And I'm thinking, I, I grew up in Buffalo. I've never heard of this place. But every time they came here, even if they were staying around North Tonawanda, they would make their way out to West Seneca to go to this pizza place. So I never go out to West Seneca. But for some reason, um, a while back, I had to go there for something. And so I thought, I'm going to try this place. It's got to have awesome pizza. So I found it, and I went there. The pizza was really bad. In fact, I can think of four places within two miles of the church that have better pizza. And I was talking to somebody who grew up in the West Seneca area. They didn't even know that this place had pizza. They thought it was just a sub shop. But for some reason, they really like this pizza. So where you come from impacts how you see the world. A few weeks ago, uh, there was this... the transcript for Trump's, Donald Trump's call with the Ukrainian prime minister that was released. And I was amazed at how different news stations kind of reported that. Uh, immediately after it was released, I went and looked on CNN.com, which is kind of a left-leaning news organization. And I don't remember the exact words, but it's something like, uh, call shows that Trump pressured Ukrainian prime minister. Then I went to Fox News, which is kind of a right-leaning uh, news site, and they said something like, 
Trump's show, uh, call shows that Trump asked for help, but not clear if there was pressure. You know, you think about that, same exact call, same exact source, but where you come from impacts how you see the world. And we think about the church, and the church is a unique organization. Because, you know, it's the common phrase is birds of a feather flock together. You know, people who are like one another usually tend to group together, but the church isn't like that at all. The church has men, the church has women, the church has old people, the church has young people, the church has rich people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people, people from all different races, blue collar, white collar. There's so much diversity and everyone in the body of Christ comes from different perspectives. And so when all these people come together, there's bound to be different viewpoints and different perspectives on life, but also on how we view Scripture. Now, last week we looked about church conflict and church splits, and we talked about these things that can lead to church splits, like it poisoning the mind of believers, division, uniting, and evil. And when we were talking about those things, we were try- primarily talking about people who cause trouble for the sake of causing trouble. But today I'd like to look a little bit more specifically about what do we do when people who love Jesus, both parties love Jesus, both parties love God's word, and yet they come to a place where they don't agree, where they view Scripture differently. When they're both sincere, they're both honest, they both want to honor Jesus, but they come to different conclusions. That's the question I'd like to consider with you for just a few moments today. In this passage, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching the gospel, and many people are coming to know Jesus, but the text tells us that some people from Judea, Jews, they come and they teach the Gentiles that they have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And later we see that the Pharisees not only say you have to be circumcised, but you have to also follow all the law to be saved. Now we think about this, and there's some actually good reasons why they might think this. We think about the covenant of circumcision, and that was a covenant that was given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, and it was a sign of what God was going to do through Abraham, and this was a sign that people were a part of the Jewish nation. The law was given by by God through Moses, and it was a special possession for the people of Israel. They considered it as something that was special, that God, out of all the nations, chose to give them the law, chose to communicate his word to them. And especially during the exile when Israel was under foreign domination and they didn't have control of their homeland, circumcision and the law were something that they could hold on to, something they could say, this is what it means to be Jewish. I have the law. I keep the law. I follow the traditions of my fathers. And so now that all these people, these Gentiles, are entering into the body of Christ, there's this temptation to maintain their identity. To tell these Gentiles, you have to keep the law as well, and you have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. The question is no longer whether Jews or whether Gentiles can come into the body of Christ. Now the question is, what do they have to do to become Christians? And some say 
that you have to become a Jew, you have to follow the law. But Paul and Barnabas are teaching that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not by the works of the law. It's a free gift received by faith. And the text tells us there's no small debate, there's no small discussion. This is a big deal. This is a big conflict. And so the church sends Paul and Barnabas, along with some other people, up to Jerusalem to kind of hash this out with the leaders there, with the elders and the apostles. And we see a number of things in this passage that they do to help diffuse this conflict. We see the first thing that they do is they experiences. We see that Peter stands up and describes how God had made a choice to preach the gospel through him to the Gentiles. He also describes how he has seen the Holy Spirit come upon the believers who are Gentiles. In doing that and saying that, he's in essence saying that God has accepted them. Because if God is going to inhabit a person, that person has to be clean, that person has to be holy. And so the implicit argument there is that if God's Holy Spirit has entered into these Gentiles, they must be clean already. God must have purified them by faith as a gift. It can't be because of the works of the law. They're not following the law, and yet God's presence is inside of them. Now this passage is kind of a snippet of what happened in that council. I mean, of course, there was more that was said than what is, you know, recorded here. There's, it says that there's some discussion. We don't know exactly what that discussion was. But I wonder, too, if Peter talked about his experience. I wonder if he's tell, told about how, if he said, well, brothers, I used to be the same way. One day I was in my home, I was hungry, and God showed me a vision where all these animals were on this sheet, and he said, Arise, kill and eat. And I said, no, Lord, I would never eat these unclean things. And God told me, don't call something unclean that I've made clean. And then the next day I met Cornelius, a Gentile god fear, and I realized that God has a heart for all the nations, that he wants all people to come to him. And that he can make even the Gentiles clean. Paul and Barnabas share their experience. Paul and Barnabas share how God had worked through many signs and wonders in their midst. And if God had worked in this way, God, again, must have accepted them regardless of whether or not they followed the law. This shows us that we need to not only share our experiences with those in the body of Christ, but we also need to listen to hear their story. We need to hear where they're coming from. Because oftentimes it's easier to talk than it is to listen to other people's stories. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said this, Christians, especially ministers, so often think they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. And in the end, there's nothing left but spiritual chatter. When there's a conflict, we need to share our experience and also listen to the experience of other people. 
Let me give you an example. Uh, one issue that's been a kind of a contentious issue in the last 50 to 100 years of the church is the consumption of alcohol. Some Christians believe that it's okay to consume an alcohol as long as it's done in a responsible manner and as long as it doesn't lead to drunkenness or things like that. Other believers have uh, thought that it's wrong to drink alcohol under any circumstances. And I know many of you fall under uh, one or other of those perspectives, um, and it you know, kind of varies even within our church. But that's an issue that throughout the church has been kind of contentious, not as much recently, but it you know, can cause issues. But you think about that, and, and maybe you listen to someone's story, and you find out maybe their perspective of where they're coming from. You know, maybe a person who believes that it's okay to consume alcohol, maybe they think to the, they tell a story how, hey, uh, when I was growing up, I remember uh, once I got to the legal drinking age, I would just go over to my dad's house every once in a while, and we would watch a football game on Saturdays, and we would just have a beer. We never abused it. We never did anything crazy. We would just have that time together. And my, my dad passed away a few years ago. And I don't drink all the time, but once in a while I have a beer and it just kind of reminds me of my time with him. Or on the other hand, you can have someone who is opposed to the consumption of alcohol and they can say, well, my dad used to drink alcohol too. But when my dad drank, drank alcohol, he became a terrible person. A person that nobody wanted to be around. I heard him yell and scream and swear at my mother all the time. Sometimes he would just beat me for no reason endlessly when he was in that state. And I don't think that any Christian should act like that, and so I don't think any Christian should drink alcohol. See, when you understand people's perspective, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with them, but you can understand and respect where they're coming from. We need to stop and listen to people's perspectives, even if we don't agree with them. Because when we hear their story, oftentimes their viewpoint makes a lot more sense than we think it does. So we need to share our experiences, listen to the experiences of others. We see also in this passage that they shared Scripture. James shares that the words of the prophets agree with the experience of Peter. James shares that God's original plan as prophesied in the prophets is that all men would repent. That people from all the nations would come to know God. And when we think about church conflict or division, Scripture is our final authority, not our experience. Our experience is not the final authority. God will never reveal something to you in, in your experience that is contrary to Scripture. Experience never trumps Scripture. We have this viewpoint in our culture that experience trumps truth. And if you experience something, it must be truth, true. But experience can be very subjective. It's something that we can't check. Play devil, devil's advocate for a second. Think to yourself, someone might say, well, Peter, we don't know what his psychological state is. He says he heard from God. He said he saw this vision, but maybe he's just having a psychotic episode. And he says that he saw these Gentiles things, and this is not really happening. 
Now, you could argue that. Someone could say that. But what about the scripture that was written hundreds of years before Peter's experience? See, his experience just supports what scripture has already taught. Scripture is the final authority. We can't pick and choose what we believe based upon our experience. Our experience confirms Scripture. And so any discussion of issues must include a healthy discussion of God's Word in the context in which the original author intended it. And here's the good news about the diversity in the body of Christ. Sometimes all of us miss it. We all have blinders on. Maybe if there's certain sins that we gravitate towards, maybe we read the Bible and we just skip right over those parts that address those things. And we have these blinders on. We all do it. And the good thing about the body of Christ is maybe somebody else can see the Scripture in a way that you're blind to. And it goes back and forth in that way. There's an old story about a man from Colorado who came to northern Minnesota to go hunting. And he met some people there who, li- you know, who lived there. And they described the strategy for hunting. They would go through the woods and kind of line up in the woods and kind of scare the deer out into a, the opening. And you know, then when they were out in the opening, they, they could hunt. And so this vi- they told this visitor, now walk down the street, and as soon as you get to the ridge, stop there, and then prepare to hunt. And in the meantime, we'll be going through the woods and scaring the deer out of the woods. So they go through the woods, scare the deer out, and then they look. This man is nowhere to be found. And they walk and they walk. They can't find him. Finally, they find him a mile from the Canadian border. And they're like, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for the ridge. They said, well, that ridge was miles back. You're almost into Canada. But you see, he was from the Rockies, from Colorado, where the the Rockies were. And he was used to seeing these big, huge mountains. And so he walked right by that ridge, didn't even think of it as anything. But the people from Minnesota, where it's completely flat, they saw a little uprising of the earth, and to them, it was a ridge. Sometimes we don't understand what a ridge is. And so we walk right by it. And sometimes we forget or we miss what the scriptures say. And so we need all of us to check one another as we come with different experiences and different backgrounds to look at God's word. We can see the areas that maybe we've been blind to or vice versa. So they share their experience, they share their share the scripture. And we see third that they came to an agreement about the reality of saving grace. And they resolved to demonstrate grace. They came to an agreement about the reality of saving grace and they resolved to demonstrate grace. James, James gives the judgment and the counsel and they come to the agreement that God's word is true, that, that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not by the works of the law and they can agree on that big issue that it's by grace. But James says... I still want you to do a few things. Gentiles who enter into the body of Christ, there's still a few things that you should do. Abstain from things that were offered to idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from from animals that were strangled or that the blood is still in them. 
And you think about these things, and of course, James is not saying those are the only things that they should do. Of course, you know, lying and things like that aren't on this list. But the, he tells the, the Gentiles these things because these things that were related to the Jewish law were things that could potentially cause other Jews to stumble. That could be an offense to other Jews. That if Gentiles were doing these things and maybe sharing the gospel with Jews, Jews would shrink back and say, I don't want to be around a person like that. Because there were these things, these things that just kind of made the Jews uncomfortable, these things of the law. And James says it's better to just stay away from those things for the sake of your brother. When I was growing up, I grew up in a household of all boys. And as a result, uh, when we would go to the bathroom, we'd just leave the toilet seat up. And then I got married, and Stephanie didn't like the toilet seat up. And at first, it became kind of a little issue. And I came up with a lot of different arguments for why it was better to leave the, the toilet seat up than leave it more effective. And so I came up with these arguments. Then I realized I was fighting a losing battle. And I thought, you know, I really didn't care either way. I just wanted to be right. Didn't make any difference to me. So after a short time, I thought to myself, well, I don't care either way. I just have been doing it this way. But it means something to her, and I love her. So I might as well just get in the habit of putting it down. And I think the same thing is true with what James is saying here. You're free. It's not a moral issue, apart from sexual immorality, but these other things are not moral issues. They're not something that you have to do because, you know, they're in the law. But if they're going to offend your brother, you might as well not do them. If they're going to cause your brother to stumble or turn away from God, you might as well get in the habit of not doing them. And so James resolves... We'll agree on the grace of God that you are free. You don't have to follow the law. But you might as well do these other things to keep the peace with your brothers so that they don't stumble. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. You're free in Christ, but don't use your freedom in a way that would harm other people. They shared their experiences. They shared Scripture. They came to an agreement about the reality of saving grace and they resolved to demonstrate grace. Here's the point. If we can agree on the big things, we can show grace on the small things. If we can agree on the sufficiency of Christ, if we can agree in faith in Christ as a means of salvation, if we can agree on His Word, we can show grace on the small things. The things that ultimately don't matter for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into your light. And we thank you that we don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops and do a whole bunch of things before we can become your followers. That you accept us as we are by faith. And that as we accept you, you declare us righteous and then begin a process of drawing us closer to you and making us more like your son. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that that's affirmed here in the text. 
Lord, I pray that we would be in agreement about those big things, about salvation, about your word. But on the smaller issues, the things that don't matter as much, Lord, I pray that we would show grace to one another. That we would remove anything from our lives that might cause our brother and sister, or sister to stumble. And in all things, Lord, we pray that we'd be unified and that we would represent your heart and your love to those around us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.